Monday of game week, it's just different. It hits different. It feels different. It's uh, something that has been in my blood my whole life. So when you listen to Red Dirt music, it's like that last Rebel sound to me. It is a combination of uh, Southern rock and jazz and uh, bluegrass. And, and for Skip Bayless to come out and say, I don't feel bad for him and kind of belittle him and say, how dare you? How dare you as the leader of America's team show weakness? Honestly, I want to say what I want to say. This is the Sam Mays Podcast. Welcome. I'm Sam Mays. And today we're talking to a man that needs very little introduction here in Oklahoma, Mr. Chad Alexander. Chad was J.C. Watts' campaign manager from 1994 to 2000. J.C. Watts was the fifth ranking member of the United States Congress. Chad was the youngest Republican state chairman in Oklahoma history and has worked with two presidential candidates in John McCain and Newt Gingrich. Chad, how are you, sir? I am doing very, very well. Uh, we are only uh, 20 days out from the election, and I think, uh, like most Americans, I'm ready for it to be over, too. Right. It's uh, you know definitely a, a situation where uh, people are polarized. People are, um, I think, in some cases worried. People are, in some cases... Uh, a little bit nervous, scared. I mean, there's a whole lot of, of words that, you know, you could really uh, use to to paint the picture of the public uh, right now. And I, I wanted to have you on really to kind of just talk about what's happening in our political world. I am not a, a dumb person by any means. Sometimes I tune into Fox or CNN or whatever national news uh, that I have on at the moment, and and I get just confused and concerned, and uh, you feel like someone is on your television throwing fastball pitches at you, and you're just looking for them to play catch. You yeah. know, teach me something, show me something, tell me something that uh, is going to help me make an informed decision here uh, down the road. So we've got a ton to talk about in this podcast. Big thank, big thank you for from me for for joining me today. Um, I, I had to laugh because I asked you what you wanted to get into, and the first thing you said was. Uh, marijuana law and I was like yes you know we've got a, a big conversation happening right now in regards to the Oklahoma Sooners and uh, a, a several of their athletes that are suspended right now due to uh, the use of medical marijuana here in the state of Oklahoma where it is legal uh, right. to do that and you know I'm I'm equally frustrated with you as a former athlete and card-carrying member of that society here in Oklahoma City medical marijuana has done a tremendous amount for me in my everyday way of life I can only imagine what it would have done for me as as a, as a player in the moment and what it would have saved me from getting myself into, whether it was op opioids or muscle relaxers or whatever I was looking for to get through the the pain that is playing college football, sure. especially at the level uh, that I did. So I am, uh, I'm very curious, you know, Lincoln Riley comes out and says it's ridiculous that his kids are in this situation since it's legal here in Oklahoma. What are your thoughts, you know, as, as far as the, the big picture here and when are we going to stop worrying about this drug that seems to benefit so many people and not hurt nearly I mean, really, you, you can overdose on anything, cottage cheese if you wanted to, but there's not a whole lot of factual information out there that marijuana is the devil that it's been, you know, portrayed to be for 50 years. Well, there's actually a lot of factual information that it's not. Right. I mean, you, you look at the data, it's actually safer for you than alcohol. Alcohol is a poison that you put in your body. I mean, there have been road tests. One was done here in Oklahoma where, uh, and I think it was over in Muskogee with law enforcement where they had people that used marijuana, people that drank, and people that were texting while driving. And they were having them do a course. And 
the people that actually did the worst were the people texting while driving. Right. Because they weren't even looking. Then it was the people that were under the influence of alcohol. And then it was the people that had smoked marijuana. But I thought what really stuck out to me, and I was glad Lincoln Riley did this and being on the radio for the last five years, I started following the NFL Players Association and union about this issue in different states and things like that. Because right now, marijuana is legal in 35 to 36 states. And it's on the ballot in even more states right now. But still federally, it's scheduled federal one. So you have state laws. The the federal government's not enforcing the federal law in those states. Uh, Obama didn't do it. The Trump administration's not doing it. And so my question is, and I think Enrique and Riley made a very, very good point, is this is not a performance-enhancing drug. I mean, an amphetamine, yes, that could be a performing-enhancing drug. Absolutely. It could be performance-enhancing. But if we look at the opioid crisis we have had in this country, remember Austin Box. What a tragedy in Oklahoma. Opioids. We have seen the deathly toll of opioids. We have seen studies that show people that get addicted within 10 days. Right. But, you know, if a football player has an injury and they have a prescription for opioids, that's fine. Right. But marijuana, which may be legal in their state, and they can have a medical card in their state, but then they could get suspended by the NCA, and they say, well, it's against federal law. But that's not even being enforced. And the point is, if you're going to drug test players, what is the point? To find out if they're doing something that is illegal on the federal level or they're doing something performance-enhancing. Right. We know that it's much safer That's a great than point. opioids. Look at the opioid death count. Tell me the marijuana death count. Right. And so I just, as a common-sense, pragmatic person, look back, look at this. I've never been a high-level athlete like you have, but say, you know, look at uh, Earl Campbell. I mean, he was, I loved watching him when I was a kid. He got addicted to opioids. I read the story. His kids had to talk to him because he took all the hits, all those type of things. And so if the point of drug testing is to not have performance-enhancing drugs, that's not a performance-enhancing drug. Why would they be suspending college football players for that? I mean, the NCAA it, it is it not bound by federal law. Right. The NCAA is an independent institution. What, what is your – I mean, as far as the federal government – is concerned it, it really does seem like it's the only way for this to just go away you know i mean the federal government's got to get on board what's it going to take to get that done uh, i feel like you've got enough examples between oklahoma and colorado alone of of the positives of medical marijuana uh, i'd much rather have a if you're a college kid and you know, like i use medical marijuana every day from the time i wake up to the time i go to bed um it is not something that i technically use for um, you know, partying or, or, you know, I mean, it's a relaxation, relaxation thing. I mean, you could call if somebody's drinking a glass of wine after work, fine. Uh, I'm going to come home and, and smoke a marijuana cigarette, you sure. know, after work. Um, I, I'm trying to, I mean, I, I would much rather have my college athletes smoking, uh, than drinking, right? That's absolutely. Kind of, so it just seems like there's and so much. That out goes th- back to a good point, Sam, though. I mean, you could see a college athlete that say gets a DUI. Right. And a one game suspension, right? Right. Okay. right. okay. Right. Now, what is more of a threat to the public? Someone out driving intoxicated where they could be in a wreck and hurt someone. Right. Or a college kid who smoked marijuana to play Xbox 
on right. a Saturday night. Right. I mean, and look, and there's some people who use marijuana inappropriately, uh, who get behind the wheel after they smoke and, and shouldn't, and they should be held accountable for those things. You sure. know, and, and that would be a totally different situation than what uh, we're talking absolutely, about. Absolutely. Right yeah. Like I'm not saying that you can't get behind and do some dumb shit. I mean, you absolutely can. It just seems like there's just way less of that in regards to, um, what we know about alcohol and DUIs. No and I mean, th- here recently just saw the news the other day, someone was killed uh, in a DUI accident. The guy's on the highway going the wrong direction, right? That's exactly right. I mean, you he just don't. A, and killed it, a freshman. Right. At a UCO. Yeah, yes. exactly. And that goes back to the overall thing of what we were talking about is, you know, what I look at things, whether it's law or policy, whether on the federal or state level, but I could apply that to the NCAA of saying, if it's not performance enhancing, it does nothing to make a player have an advantage over another player. Right. Why do you care? Right. What's the issue there? I mean, just because it's a federal law. But to go back to your problem is the polarization we have seen in politics today. It's legal in the majority of states. Right. And like I said, other states are going to have it on the ballot this year. So that number is going to continue to increase. And there's some legislators legislatures in different states that are just passing it anyway. They're not even doing state questions. Right. And so when you're the majority of the country where it's legal and the laws are not being enforced, and then you have it other places, is that really an equal justice system? Is that an equal legal system? And I don't think it is. And I do think the federal government should act. I mean, the fact that it's considered a Schedule One drug, I mean, a Schedule One drug means it has no medicinal value whatsoever. Which is insane. We know that there are scientist reports, there are reports from all sorts of medical institutions that show that marijuana actually does have some health benefits right. and medical benefits. So for it to still be Scheduled One, when you have other things like, you know, a, a Lord tab that's an opiate, it's Schedule Two, because you get that right. description from a doctor. I mean, it's almost a pharmaceutical industry thing. I think as soon as big pharma learns how to take it over, there'll be a huge push in Washington to get it, get it done, because then it's not the little guys anymore that are making money. It's just the big pharmaceutical companies that are getting rich. It's a shame that, you know, that that's where we're at with this. You know, it's, it's going to show, you know, it takes money changing hands right it takes uh, big companies who are spending money on lobbyists and you know getting guys elected and uh you know have had their hands in the political uh conversation for years and years and years are the ones that need to benefit from marijuana before the rest of the people can you know like that bothers me it does Um, and we see polling nationally i mean people think it should be legal right And, and and that's bipartisan and i mean that's what I think a frustration that some people have with Washington, D.C. is right now. And it's a frustration I have with Washington, D.C. right now, is the polarization there. The majority of the American people support it. It's illegal. The majority of states, why can't we get anything done? But it seems like nothing almost can get accomplished in Washington right now unless the president and the Senate and the House are of the same party. Where, you know, things just get blocked and blocked and right. blocked. And that has become a frustration for a lot of people. They want to see things get done. They right. want to see their government function, but it's not happening. And we have to figure out a way to get back to there because we weren't two, two, three decades ago. We weren't near as polarized as we are right now. I give right. several examples of why that's true. I've been doing this professionally since 1994. It has never been more polarized than it is right now. Um, social media plays a large role in that. Because you have a lot of media companies that put a link up for clickbait to get to read the story. And then you actually read the story. It's not exactly what the headline said, but it got me to click and make right. them some money. And they also put us in an echo chamber. And um, I feel like the, you know, there's, a, there's a, a documentary on Netflix 
talking about social media, and they have former executives of Facebook. They have the guy that actually from Google that made the look for, for Gmail. Right. And it's talking about how it manipulates our thoughts, and they're competing for our time because they make more money. If they get us in an echo chamber and we want to stay on, they make more money. Because we're seeing more ads. So the longer we stay on, that's why you get notifications. That's why they invented notifications, is to get you to get back on to see what's going on and then stay on so they can sell more ads to you. Right. They absolutely can manipulate what you see. And the thing is, if you look at me, who they know is a Republican from Oklahoma, um, they gave this example. I could, they know me. They know my background. They have my data. I could say, what is climate change? And they showed it in this documentary. And for me, it would come up, climate change is a hoax. But if you live in, say, California, and you're a Democrat, and you Google, and they showed this on there, and you Google, what is climate change? The biggest threat to humanity. We're not even getting the same information. So if you want to know why people are disagreeing, because we can't even agree on the basic set of facts, because we're not getting the same news. There is, um, there is, uh, so let me me go back, because there's so much to unpack here. The marijuana conversation, as far as the federal conversation is concerned, I mean, it, it basically comes down to what? The, I, I mean, how does that get through? There are a lot of advocates for it uh, on both sides. Uh, Ron Paul's kind of been the leader. He's a doctor, mm-hmm. a Republican senator. Um, you know, he's been a, a leading advocate right. on this. And so does it need to come to a vote have, nationally? Have, or you have? To, if I think if it got to the floor of okay. the Senate and the Congress, it would probably pass. pass right. But, to With get the polarization, there, you have to be able to get it to the floor. Okay. And along the way, you have, as legislation goes, whether it's the House or Senate, you have committee chairs that can strictly take something out. So right. it doesn't even get to leadership. And sometimes it can get to leadership, and this leadership group's not going to put it on. And so you have to have both bodies and a president willing to sign it. I think if it got to Trump's desk, he would sign it. Right. But how does it get there? I mean, very few things are getting to Trump's desk right now. The House will pass something that the Senate's not going to pull up. The Senate passed something. The House isn't going to pull up. And okay. the President is going to get to sign it. All right. Let, let's talk about the um, what, what you're talking about right there, the polarization of uh, our government. And I, I think there's so many people out there, a lot like me, who are very frustrated with the inability to even have a conversation together. I am embarrassed at the way that the debates have gone. I'm insulted at the way that they are presented to me as someone who wants to be informed. The first three questions in the vice presidential debate, neither candidate even attempted to answer them. Right. And I'm sitting here today uh, watching the uh, the Supreme Court um, confirmation week here with, with Amy Coney Barrett, and I think that she has done an exceptional job talking to me, sitting on my couch, looking at the television, answering the questions the way that she feels like the question should be answered. I applaud her in every way. I haven't seen a politician, but she is not, or anybody on these news channels in years. I feel like that has done the job that she's just talking to me. And I think that that is, so when you talk about the news and you talk about the media, you know, that maybe that's where she gets started. What, what is the term media? I'm a member of the media, right? I'm a member of the media. You are a member of the media. Exactly. What exactly do people, what is the media politically today? How about that? This is the thing. You are media. I am media. We are local media. Most of the national media that is put out, you're going to get out of the New York Times, the Washington Post, or you're going to get out of the networks. Where are they based? Washington, D.C., New, New York, York City, right. Los Angeles. 
do those places really look like the rest of America? Absolutely not. They are in a bubble. They are talking to each other. If you look right now um, where there's Pew or a lot of other nonpartisan pollsters and say, what institutions do you trust? Uh, you know, Supreme Court does very well, and there's other things that do very well. And then the president does a lot better than Congress because Congress usually has low ratings because people don't like Congress, but they like their congressman. So right. usually their congressman gets reelected. I like my congressman, but not your congressman. But to, to me, those things are just there. And, and you talk about these hearings today. And one thing I noticed yesterday, all the senators gave their opening statements. The purpose of a Supreme Court hearing is to see, is someone qualified to be a U.S. Supreme Court justice? Not their background. Not, it's, it's are you qualified legally to be a Supreme Court justice? I mean, she got a gold standard for the American Bar Association's ratings. Um, she's had many, many, many people sign letters that she's worked with that are of the other party or of the liberal scale that she, that are law professors that she has been a law professor with. Um, she was already confirmed by the Senate to an appellate court, which is the court right under the Supreme Court, you know, one of the, one of the appellate courts. And that was a bipartisan vote. But in none of the opening statements of either party senators yesterday, did they bring up her qualifications to be a, a U.S. Senator or a Supreme Court justice? And then today with the line of questioning, you know, she's going to ask things about policy issues, ACA. Judges aren't supposed to engage in policy issues. Right. What would you do if you rule on this? I mean, Ruth Gator Ginsburg said at her hearing, no justice should ever talk about how they should rule on a hypothetical case. Right. You have to hear the arguments and the merit of a case to make an argument. And so, so how, we're how much of this? the ACA. We're, so this is all policy when the purpose of this hearing is, are you qualified to be a Supreme Court justice? What, how, how is the... How much of this is President Trump's fault in the way that she was presented to the people uh, as an ally of his going into the Supreme Court? Like, I feel like the line of questioning that you're getting is because President Trump makes me feel like, personally, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm picking this up incorrectly, that by putting her in the office, he's got another uh, person behind him when it comes to what he said. If he loses this election, he feels like there's some sort of fraud that's going to be involved in having her, you know, on the Supreme Court's going to help him in some way. Like he, he has presented her uh, as a teammate. And the reality is she is not. She is there for to, to serve all of us and making sure that the law is being upheld by the, the Constitution. Right. I mean, right. that's what she's right. there to do. Um, she's not being presented that way, in my opinion, from the president and his office. And I think I think that's where people make a mistake, especially when it comes to Supreme Court justices, is you do not know how a justice is actually going to rule until they are on the court. Right. Uh, you had a Reagan appointee. I won't too far in the weeds, but you had an Reagan appointee that usually uh, sided with the Democrat appointees because right. they have a lifetime appointment. And their interpretation of different cases comes up differently. And that's why, I mean... Chief Justice Roberts was put on the court by George W. Bush, right. named Chief Justice. He saved the ACA by a 5-4 vote. Right. No one thought that John Roberts was going to rule that way. You don't know how they're going to rule until they get on the court, and that's the problem with the, trying to politicize the court right now. And you know what I will say about Trump, and this is not being over, this is being true. You look at the media schools that study uh, coverage of presidencies and stories, he has a 96% negative story, whether it's CBS, ABC, or you combine them all up, 96% of his press is bad. Right. I don't think any president, 96% of what they do is bad. Right. And I'm going to quote, not a Republican, but Jimmy Carter, former president, 
oldest living Democrat president, said Donald Trump has gotten the most unfair press coverage of any president he's seen in his lifetime. Okay, how much of that is his fault? You know, when it comes to, and oh, look, I'm not trying to make this no, a, no I question. mean, I, he, he, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, the, the, the women's conversation and uh, sexual assault conversation, and he, you know, picks on that little girl uh, that was with the uh, environmental, you know, p- people, and she's a terrible little kid. Like, it just seems like he, j- what he has done is take the presidency, in my opinion, and due to social media and his access to it, he has made himself one of us. Like, the president, to me, is the picture of him walking down that hallway with the garden on the right and his back towards us, and he's got these broad shoulders, and you know that he is working, and you know that he is on our team, and you know that, you know, that's America's leader, which is the number one leader in the world. The presidency was, um, it's it, it, it's a beautiful thing that he has made very much, like, he's playing cards at my smoky table in my, in my, in my garage right now, right. and it's just... He, he just seems like the ultimate bully, which I think a lot of people feel like is where all the negative press comes from. I mean, he does it to himself. I think a lot of times he, I mean, there's no question he has said and done things. I'm like, oh, man, I wished he wouldn't have said that. Or, right. I, wow, I wished he wouldn't have tweeted that. And I can't say how the president feels. Right. But I would also say if you look back at how the Mueller stuff started and the very beginning of all this stuff and everything and, you know, You've been elected president, and on nightly news, you have pundits calling you a traitor. Right. You've committed treason. I mean, the, the punishment for treason is death. I mean, right. He's been called a Russian agent so right. many different times. Then we find out, you know, the Mueller report comes out, no American knowingly or unknowingly colluded with the Russian government. This right. is the na- narrative of the first three years of his presidency. He's also been called a racist. And I, for somebody that opens his mouth as much as he does, why wouldn't he just say, I'm not a racist? Well, I mean, I go back to things like, you know, Donald Trump was never called a racist until he ran for president in 2015. I mean, there are pictures with him with Jesse Jackson and Rosa Parks on Ellis Island in 2010 where they're giving him an award for philanthropy for all he's done for the African-American community in right. New York. No one was calling him a racist then. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was roasted one time. And, you know, Snoop Dogg was one of the roasters and everything. This is before he ran for president. It was actually pretty hilarious. Right. Uh, but Donald Trump has been a public figure since the 1980s, and he was Never been called a racist until 2015 when he ran for president. Right. And so. That just seems like something, though, that he would use, you know, because he's so willing to just well, mix it the, up with the, the rest point, of us. The point I was get, getting back to is like talking about the when the trust in the media has now fallen to 17, 18 percent that people believe what they're hearing on the right. media and the news. And I think when all the narrative is against you through the major networks. I think he sees social media as the only way that he could try to break through and talk to his people and get his message out. Right. And I think in the first presidential debate, I think you know he did his two minutes, Joe Biden did his two minutes, then Trump gets asked a question. And if you actually look back on it, Biden interrupted him three times during the first question. And so then Chris Wallace asked a question to Biden. After the second question to Biden, I think Trump feels like, hey, you're throwing – you know, yeah. darts at me. Right. And you're lobbing softballs, this guy. So then Trump starts interrupting and asking Biden the question that he wants Biden to have to answer because right. I feel like they're getting answered. So none of that is excusing anything Donald Trump has said. I'm just trying to give an answer why I think he uses social media the right. way he does is if you can't get through on ABC and NBC and CBS 
MSNBC or CNN. Everybody points to Fox News. Well, it's the only one that's not bashing him 96% of the right. time. Of course, he's going to lean that way. You want to defend right. yourself, and you feel like the only way you can do it, defend yourself is use your social media account to get your side out. I, I think that, right, I'm, I'm, I get that. And he, there's a whole lot of people that have knives out for president trump i mean it is he is hated uh, and whether it is warranted or not there's a lot of people that hate him i cannot he, stand it, the people, people that, that either lo- there's a lot of people that either love, love him or, or hate they him. hate yeah. him they're and, dug in and but, you're fighting over the people right who really haven't made it so my, my social and look you're not him and nor do you um work for him I, i'm just i guess i'm frustrated with how easy he finds using social media why not just tweet out look i'm, I'm not a racist uh, and I condemn white supremacy, and I uh, don't believe that any college football players should have to drive up to Old Miss's stadium, uh, Mississippi State Stadium, and see the rebel flag flying over, um, you know, a, a stadium. I chat. I'm on my motorcycle, and because of everything that's happened since March, I get death threats. Uh, and people wishing harm on me, calling up to the show, um, you know, you're black this and you're black that, N-word left and right. And when I see a rebel flag on the back of a truck and I'm on my bike, I tense up. I get a little nervous. That's always been something to me that has made me uncomfortable as a black person. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. I remember when you know, Barack Obama came to Oklahoma. He visited Durant. And um, it was back when he was president. And I saw a video of people that went out and bought Confederate flags and waving them on the side of the road. And it embarrassed me right. as an Oklahoman. He's the president of the United States. Did, did I vote for him? No. Right. But he's the president, and I'm going to respect the institution. I'm going to respect the, uh, respect the office. Right. I don't think people have done that for Donald Trump. I feel like he keeps getting asked, are you going to accept the results of the 2020 election? Has Hillary Clinton accepted the results of the 2016 election? I mean, has Nancy Pelosi accepted the results of the 2016 election? I mean, he was literally impeached over a phone call from Ukraine that was ridiculous. Right. I mean, it was a sideshow. And, and so I see the frustration there and I can't ever say that I personally know what it feels like to be an African American male growing up and, and, and what kind of things that, that you've had to endure and put myself in that situation. I could try to be empathetic and empathize, right. but I say, I can't say I feel it, but I mean, I get nervous when I get pulled over. I mean, right. I just yeah, do. No, I look, mean, we know anything about today. No one likes the police really. I mean, you can just see it on television every day. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, like I say, there are about 300,000 police officers on the streets at any time. Right. One person does something, and it's the whole institution. And right. I don't think it's fair to judge that in any other way. Like I say, in any other big corporation, you're, I mean, there are going to be racists out there. But, you know, I've never known anybody that was a Ku Klux Klan member. But, again, I talk about you know, President Trump having a hard time ever breaking through on his message. Uh, T.W. Shannon, uh, Republican from Oklahoma, he's the former Speaker of the House, mm-hmm. uh, first Republican African-American Speaker of the House in Oklahoma's history. Um, and, you know, he was with Donald Trump in Tennessee two weeks ago in an event, and he pointed this out because I saw him doing a national TV interview where Trump was announcing, you know, Fund, historical funding for black uh, colleges, which is more than ever going to get there. Empowerment zones where people that can uh, 
have tax credits for going into low-income communities and putting businesses there and hiring people and doing those things. And at that same event, he said the Ku Klux Klan should be considered a hate organization and should be put on a domestic terrorist list. He has said this, he's disavowed David Duke before, and T.W. Shannon went through seven different times publicly mm-hmm. that he's disavowed these groups and racism. And he said, but how many times does he have to disavow it? I mean, he, keeps, right. he, an- he does answer the question. He just keeps getting asked. I think he gets frustrated. I've answered this. How many times do I have to answer this? So I, I think that's, okay, that's, th- those are things that I did not know that he had recently said. Now the question goes to why wouldn't they bundle that up like they've done every bit of media they could possibly get and put that on social media where the masses are going to see it? Like, I, why wouldn't that be the easiest thing for them to do, right? They have put that on the Team Trump Twitter, but if, if you're not seeing it, right. like I said, and, and the algorithms control what you see based on what they know about you from your information. Right. So I may see something that you may not see. I think and, it's frustrating. I just wish that he, everybody, just just say it. Just put get it on your Twitter account and just, you know, I'm being called a racist around the, the world. This is how I feel about these things. And I, I'm going to stand here and list the things that I've done. And I'm going to say, tell you that the KKK is a, is a hate group. I'm going to tell you that, um, you know, I'm con- condemned white supremacy. I'm going to tell you that, you know, I mean, it's, it just seems like it'd be so easy to just reach out and just say all those things. And then in this conversation, but we allow the conversation to continue because he allows the conversation to continue, right? And, and I mean, and I'm not trying to defend Trump here, but I'm saying when you're at a public event and news cameras are all around mm-hmm. in Tennessee and he disavows the KKK and says it should be a hate group, it should be a domestic terrorist organization and disavows it, why isn't that on CBS, ABC, and NBC? That's a great question. And so you ask why he tries to use his social media right. and I go back to that because they don't put it on. And right. I would not have known about it if I did not know T.W. Shannon, and I hired him into politics, by the way. Right. I hired him onto the J.C. Watts campaign when I was J.C. Watts' campaign manager. So I know him personally. And so when I saw him say it on TV, if T.W. Shannon hadn't been at the event and said it, I wouldn't have heard about it. And I follow the news 24-7. Right. And so, you know, this, and I've said through this whole election, Joe Biden and the DNC is not going to be whether or not Trump loses, as it's whether Trump can beat the network media. It's, it's really, to me, Trump versus the network media at this point. Let, let's dive into the presidential campaign. You know, obviously, Joe Biden is has his flaws just like any man does, and President Trump has his too. Uh, I am, I, like I said, I, I'm disappointed that these are the two options that we have. I feel like in 2020, with all the information uh, that we have at the tip of a, a finger, that we, there's got to be some people out there that are more suited to lead our government in, during this, in, in the current climate right it's it's social media it's uh it's you know all the internet in in itself people are just more connected than they've ever been but they're so distant from each other i really just would love to have somebody come in and say and 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 maybe this is me being naive i i feel like the focus needs to be put back on our country like if i was in office right now i'm talking infrastructure i'm talking about education here in the United States. I'm talking about tax reform. I'm talking about, you know, finding a way to literally make our country great again. Like, right. and I, and I feel like the last four years under president Trump have been, and I think he's done some excellent things. And I mean, there's, there's from a business aspect, you can go through and look at some of the things he's done internationally are pretty incredible. And you don't hear any of these things. You have to go seek them out. Right. No, I mean, uh, United Arab Emirates uh, recognizing and legitimizing relationships with Israel 
recognize they've never recognized right. the state of Israel. Right. Now they have. Now they are actually are recognized as a government. Bahrain, same way. And it looks like Saudi Arabia is probably what basically what he's doing politically wise on the foreign policy front is putting Iran on an island. Yeah. And, and, and you love it, right? Right. Yeah. And you love that. And um, that's the best thing because every everyone in the world that studies this, Iran is the leading state sponsor of terrorism. They are the one that fund terrorist organizations. Putting them on an island is the best thing that we could possibly do. They are the biggest threat to the Middle East. Uh, it is historic that these countries that are predominantly Muslim countries are recognizing Israel as a state, normalizing trade relations, right. normalizing travel back and forth. That is more peace than we've had in the Middle East since, since Israel became a state. But you hardly hear about it. It's hardly being recognized. And I go back to the fact that Nothing he does that he accomplishes really gets much. But you mentioned infrastructure. You know, Nancy Pelosi says she wants infrastructure. Trump was talking about it in 2016. He still says he wants an infrastructure bill. Right. Why can't we get it if both sides agree on it? Right. And that's where I think the frustration comes from is I think you, when it comes to the politicians in Washington, D.C., right now we're in a presidential election year. They are not going to pass any bill that they, out of the House that they think is going to help Trump's reelection. Right. Um, that's just where we are. I mean, you it's know, frustrating. We got a stimulus bill. There's a second stimulus bill that's been out there, and they said, the, you know, the, Nancy Pelosi started at three trillion. The Trump administration started at a trillion. They came up to about one point six. She came two point four. But there are still things in it that have nothing to do with COVID whatsoever, like right. funding pensions for deep blue cities like Illinois where their pensions are upside down. That's not the federal taxpayer's job to go in. It has nothing to do with COVID. Right. And so those are what are stopping a lot of those things. I think you'll see one, but I think it's going to be after November 3rd because anything that gives a shot in the arm of the economy for November 3rd, Nancy Pelosi doesn't think is good for maintaining the majority in the House of Representatives. Right. Because if Trump looks good, that hurts her. And I think we got the first one through, but now we're just too close to an election. How do we, you know, the, the as far as... Donald Trump and um, the election in general, right? The painting that he has painted for us to see is one of: if I lose, they cheated, and if they cheated, I'm not. Lo- I'm not leaving um, peacefully, right? Um, I sit and watch that on my television, and that is very much a threat to me, right? And I, I mean, and like I said, I don't care for either candidate, um, frankly, at all. Uh, but, and so, but for someone to say, I'm not going to leave makes me feel like this is a third world country and it's not, this is the United States of America. And if you were voted out of office, you're going to pack your things and you're going to leave peacefully. Right. And I think and he doesn't make me feel that way. I, I think, I think that is the thing about Trump not being a politician. And you have to right. remember, this is the first guy that's ever been elected that did not serve in the upper echelons of the military or hold public office before. He's the first straight-up U.S. citizen that has come out and won the presidency, and it was the biggest upset in the in presidential election history. Now, I said on election night in 2016, when I signed off on the radio, you know, this is a coin flip race, or 55-45, guys. This is going to be close, and I was looking at early voting and things right. like that. Those metrics are off the table in 2020. We're still trying to figure out the rules in some of these states through the courts. And mail-in balloting has been much bigger than it ever has been before. And states that aren't familiar with it are probably going to have higher rejection rates of absentee ballots. Right. States that have already been doing this for a long time. So that throws up another quagmire of why I really can't get a good feel on this election. But because Donald Trump has never been a politician before, uh, he if he gets asked a question, he just gives you his answer. A reporter asks him a question on something that 
something happens in sports, right. he answers. Right. You know, I mean, he just tells people what they what he thinks, and right. and they say you. Know, and I see a lot of pundits say you know, well, politically polling says this is a bad idea. You think it's a bad idea for a president to go out and take on an issue they know is unpopular this close to election? Well, he's not a politician, right? And to me, like, okay, so do you want somebody that leads by polls, that they're just going to look at polls and see what the majority of American people want, and that's what they're going to drive home? I mean, that is what stereotypical politicians do that people are tired of. Right. And I think that is not having the political experience. There's a lot of times when he gets asked questions, he should just take a pass on and say, you know, I don't know enough about that to comment. He likes to go from his gut and just say what he thinks or what he feels, and sometimes that leaves people with – and, and I know the press conference you're talking about because I watched it because I saw the headlines after it. I'm like, no, it's not exactly what he said. He said, we'll see. And what he was talking about with the states that have went to universal mail-in voting. And he mm-hmm. said, I mean, I'm expecting after election night we're probably going to be in courts in a few different states. Because Washington, Oregon, they spent cycles getting prepared for universal mail-in balloting. But in like Washington, you go to register, you got to show your ID, all these things. Then they send you a universal ballot. That's different than absentee mail-in like we have in Oklahoma. What some of these states are doing is they're just universally mailing out ballots to everyone on the voting record, regardless of whether they requested one or not. Right. And we've seen this uh, in Nevada where you, you know, there's pictures of ballots just in a dumpster at an apartment complex because people have moved. People don't live there anymore. People have died. Uh, you know, we had a story the other day, someone in Oklahoma, I think, got two ballots for their parents from California that had died a decade ago right. because they're not clean. And so that, those states that, that are doing it for the first time, uh, New York, 20% of their primary ballots mail-in were thrown out because people aren't used to doing it. They didn't sign the right signature line or it got there too late. Uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia is estimating they may lose 100,000 ballots on election night because people that have never done it before aren't putting their ballots in a secured envelope before the mail-in envelope like they're supposed to. Right. So they're estimating that. So there's so much confusion out there. So I guess I built you a clock when you asked the question that we talk a lot. But he's a non-conventional president, and that's how he won the presidency. And I think with the media, that's the way he feels like he break through. And he answers questions that, that he shouldn't. But the thing is, is he's not a professional politician. And it goes off. And so when he was answering that question, he said, we'll see. And what he was talking about, as I understand what he is saying, is we're going to see what the vote is on election night and how many outstanding ballots are out there. Right. And then what the, you know, we're probably going to be in court in a couple of states and swing states if it's close. Now, if it's not close... It, it know, is what it's it is. It's going to go fast. Right. But, I mean, remember Bush v. Gore in 2000. We were in one state, Florida, and we got way into December, like December 20th, before we knew who the president was going to right. be because of 435 ballots in Florida. If that's going on in three states and we're arguing course cases that may go up to the U.S. Supreme Court in three different states, well, no, you're not going to concede on November 3rd. Right. But, I mean, Donald Trump, if he loses the election, is not going to have to be military escorted out of the White House. I mean, come on, this guy is a billionaire. Right. And it's like I said, Donald Trump's already won the game of life. He can lose this election. You're a billionaire. You're 74. You can go stay at Mar-a-Lago with your model wife the rest of your life and travel the world just the stuff you own. I mean, he's, he's going to be okay. Uh, so I, I don't maybe necessarily know. And, and if that's the case, then great. Then I'm, I'm, that answer has pacified me. The problem is if Sam is sitting here, who is decently educated uh, and is able to, um, 
you know, pick through information pretty well. I'm more worried about Eric somewhere who views what the president said as a call to arms. And I've right. seen videos and all kinds of crap, you know, all over the place of these people saying, you know, we, we've got your back and we're not going to allow this to happen to you. If Biden wins, you know, like, and I'm, and I'm, that's, it's the people, it's the people on our level, the ground level right. that are not processing the information well and not willing, like you just explained it to me in a way that I could process. And I'm going to go with, if he, if he gets that great, cause I can't imagine what that would look like him rooting into the white house because I'm an American and Americans don't do shit like that. And think about how many clicks that got when somebody takes that right. quote and tries to scare Absolutely. the hell out of everybody. Well, and that's exactly what they're doing. They're getting that click. Right. And, and right now it's be first, right. not be, be right. And let me give you an example about this. Like the gov- the plot on the governor of Michigan last week that we all learned about, that was the U S attorney's office and the federal government that discovered that plot right. under the Trump administration that arrested those people. The governor of Michigan comes out, and I think people need to let the facts weigh in before they spout things off on speculation. It says, you know, this was caused by Donald Trump, dog whistles, blah, blah, blah. Well, we actually find out that one of the main people plotting it, actually, this militia was not pro-Trump. He videos talking about how Trump was a tyrant. He is not pro-Trump. He's not pro. It's not a Republican Democrat thing. He actually uh, marched with Black Lives Matter in Michigan after what happened with George Floyd. He is very anti-police from his social media and things that are now public. They are against all form of government. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. They think if you're imposing any laws on them in this particular militia, if you're putting any rules or laws or regulations on them, you are, you know, and they're anti-you. It doesn't matter if you have right. a D or R behind your name. They think Trump's a tyrant. They think Whitmer's a tyrant. Okay, partisan thing. I mean, look at Portland. The mayor, Ted Wheeler, he's a right. Democrat. He had to move because they were surrounding his condo and right. setting things on fire and being loud. He had to get rid of, he got to leave to get rid of because of his neighbors. And, you know, no matter who wins this election, it, it doesn't matter when you're talking about things that I think a lot of people are missing, like what's going on in Portland, like, with them tearing over uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln statue last Makes night. Makes zero sense. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, Abraham Lincoln has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. And if you look at all these people that are getting arrested, they're all white. And you mm-hmm. look at some of them are teachers, some of them are college professors, some right. of them have been lawyers. Like, did you leave your Gucci bag in your car to go talk about oppression? And why, if you're out there supporting Black Lives Matter as a white person, are you tearing over a statue of Abraham Lincoln? I mean, right. a little known fact that a lot of people on our historians don't know is the Confederacy was trying to surrender earlier than Abraham Lincoln accepted it because Abraham Lincoln knew if we didn't get the 13th Amendment passed that ended slavery, there'd be another civil war to end it at some point in time. Right. He delayed as far as he could to get the 13th Amendment passed and ultimately was assassinated for that by right. John Wilkes Booth. So no one that is supporting the cause of African Americans are going to go take over a statue of Abraham Lincoln. And I've said this. There are a lot of peaceful protests going on by Black Lives Matter all over the country of people that are out there during the day that believe in social injustice, that that things are out there that need to be rectified. And, I mean, you point back to systemic racism. It goes back to the 1994 crime bill, the three strikes you're out. I remember when that passed. I was in professional policy at that time. It was 1995. And, you know, when I was going, we're thinking, well, you know, bank robbery, this, that. Yeah. You know, we didn't realize, oh, you got arrested for marijuana three times. You're going to get a life sentence. Right. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. But you know what? Joe Biden was the author of that bill. 
you're not hearing about that. Right. I mean, Joe Biden spoke at, at, at Robert Byrd's funeral, who's a former grandmaster of the Ku Klux Klan. Not hearing anything about that. And, and you're talking about him being his mentor. Was against school busing and desegregation. Kamala Harris brought that up in the vice presidential debates. So I'm not trying to put this on Biden. I'm not trying to be personally aware right. of saying the difference in coverage. If I don't tell you that, you may have not ever heard that. Right. Um, and, and so, and I think that's why the president really kind of gets off message sometimes with the social media, but I think a lot of it's anger and frustration of how do I get my message out? But either way, we're going to have a new president or he's going to be reelected in three weeks. But if you're talking about the deeper societal issues that we have out there that are going on, like in Portland and what you're seeing there and what you're seeing in other places in Wisconsin, and those people that are out there legitimately peacefully protesting, doing the right things, right. They are being overshadowed, and their message is being stolen by 100%. a group that has a total other agenda. Right, they are hiding behind that, trying to do what they want to do. Which wouldn't is you anarchy. just love the president to say that? Yes, I really, really would. But I mean, you know, Antifa is not an idea. Ideas don't get arrested for looting and rioting and murder. Right, they don't. That's not an idea. I mean, they have Facebook pages, guys. I mean, they're organized. They, you know, when you saw uh, in Atlanta. You know, a U-Haul pulls up and people start pulling off shields and other things and slingshots. And the woman who rented it was a white woman who'd been at other rallies in other states. In Oklahoma, we had a few people arrested just briefly after the George Floyd incident. Right. But, you know, had burned down a, a not-for-profit that gave women clothing for dressing. Well, you see it in like... One of these guys from Arkansas. One of these guys are from yeah, Georgia. absolutely. Yeah. They're not even Oklahomans. Right. That was not part of the Oklahoma people that planned this. These are people that came from out of state. It's the people that are coming out after dark. It's the people that are coming out and they already have masks on and they have right. backpacks on. They have water bottles that are frozen. They have slingshots that they're shooting at police. Those people are not coming out in attention of being peaceful, and I feel like that's tragic for the people that are legitimately trying right. to get to social issues and structural issues in our country, that they're being hijacked by a group that doesn't really give a damn about them. They're right. just anarchists. Yeah, no, I, I look. And I, they're I, not Republican or Democrat. They're anarchists. I 100% agree with with everything that you're saying there. And the Black Lives Matter message is being lost every single day. The leadership group has done a poor job maintaining it. The thing that that bothers me, though, is the person who has the most power here to let people know, wait a second, right? You're the people that are protesting peacefully. The message that they're sending is one that is very, very much real. Sure. And it seems like the president doesn't even acknowledge that that message is very real. Um, and, and, you know, the focus on the looting and the rioting, the people doing the bad things, you know, and, and I'm like, man, those aren't the those aren't the people that we're, we're talking about here. Those aren't the people that are with the right message. Those are people who just, you know, they hate the police because they hate the police or people who do want to see the, the world burn just to see the world burn. Right. And it's, and it's killing it. I just wish that the president would say, I acknowledged everybody out there doing the peaceful thing. Right. And I acknowledge the struggle that you're going through. And, and I uh, applaud companies and organizations and businesses like look at these massive companies that have came out and say yeah no we hear you mm -hmm. right we hear the things that you're saying and we're, sure. we're going to help in these ways and they've done it like that instantaneous right the washington uh, football team now has to change their name and i'm i'm not I, I i don't know a ton of native americans i've heard on one side that it bothers some and i heard on the others that they thought it wasn't honor and, and i totally get that because i mean you know 
you're talking about red skin. I mean, right. you actually bring right. up skin. Absolutely. So yeah. I could totally, and, and like I the, totally understand the that. Confederate uh, statues that are, are falling. You know, I, I am, uh, I, as somebody who was, I, I love sports and I love to compete and I love history and I love to read about wars. Um, the Confederacy was, I mean, it was four years long. There's been um, groups that have lasted hundreds of years that have fought against um, regimes and governments. The Confederacy was nothing in the grand scheme of things. Why do I have statues around of them um, that are put in places where the people that were oppressed by the Confederacy can see them? Like that's, it doesn't make any sense to me why I would ever celebrate someone who lost. Those are losers. The Confederacy lost right. to the people who are now in power. No, why, absolutely. You know, I so mean, like it's just, they, it's four years. No, they left the United States. They were a rebellious army. Right. And we won. Right. The United States won. Yes. And we only have we one country. And I've said, Sam, for 20 years, the only place that the Confederate flag belongs is in a museum. Agreed. Uh, we should have museums. We should know our history. Right. I mean, taking apart history is not the way you deal with something. I mean, those who don't remember history are bound to repeat it. Agreed. That's, 100%. that's happened all the time. The Confederate flag belongs nowhere but a museum. And I would also say, Put the statues in a museum. Um, you know, are there places where there are battlefields that are that are they are telling the story Absolutely. and they have statues of people right. on both sides? I that get makes it. sense I to get me because that's showing basically showing a picture of what right. happened. But you in know? your town square, but in your town square, you know, I could totally understand that and right. I get that. And and like I said, move them to a museum. Right. I mean, we don't need to forget our history, but I could totally understand why no one wants you know that shouldn't be in a town square somewhere because. What you did was a rebellion against the United States government. It was treason. Right. And you lost. We only have one flag. It's the Stars and Stripes. And right. that's how I feel. Let's, uh, let's end this with this. I, I want you to tell me, um, you know, so you, you have covered politics your, your whole life. Your wife, Stephanie, is heavily involved in President Trump's uh, reelection campaign mm -hmm. right now as, as his chief of staff. And that's in that corridor of work that she's got to do there. Um, if there is anything that you could tell the American people in general, both sides, Republican, Democrat, independent, you know, to take a deep breath and assess the next three weeks in what way, like how, what, what should we be doing now um, away from staring at the television, letting these people yell at us? I don't even watch it. And I mean, this gets on my nerves. It did in 2016. It does now. You have these talking heads on TV, Sam, that a lot of them are journalists. A lot of them have worked as staffers, but have never worked on a campaign. So me watching these people on TV kind of tell me how elections work. Right. When I've been involved in over a hundred as a consultant or a manager on staff or doing vending for them. Um, think how frustrated would you be watching every network having sports commentators on there and no one has ever played a down. Yeah. It'd be frustrating. But they were just journalists and right. I'm not knocking sports journalists. But don't you sometimes want people that have actually have done it and lived it and know what it's like to get hit in the mouth and know what it's like to play in the frozen sure. tundra. They bring a whole new perspective and they see things a lot differently. And so that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, these people, they're given their talking points. They know what they're supposed to say. Right. They're getting paid 50000 100000 a year to be on retainer to come in and say what they're supposed to say. That doesn't mean... It's what they actually even think sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of this is so much more scripted than people even realize. And that's where the frustration goes to me. But I think we have underlying issues in this country that go 
deeper than this. And it includes the media, but also includes social media. And like I said, the algorithms that are set up for people seeing different information, if we can't even agree on a basic set of facts. Right. And let's separate civics from politics, okay? Civics would be, as Ben Sassy said yesterday, the senator from Nebraska, civics would be we agree on the institution of the Supreme Court that they should not be political. That we should not be doing policy. I mean, that's for the Congress. That is for the elected officials, not the judicial branch of government. Civics is us all agreeing on the institution of the Supreme Court, whether or not judges should be qualified or not qualified to be a Supreme Court justice. That's civics. Politics is, you know, as Senator Sass said, is going over to a Democrat colleague going, man, that's boneheaded, all right? Right. We can't spend that type of money. That's going to just, that's too much money. And him going back to me and saying, hey, no, you're boneheaded. You're not wanting to invest enough in the children and our future. That's a legitimate political debate that we should be having that should not be involving the Supreme Court. And you've talked about these hearings. Yesterday, none of the senators talked about really the qualifications in their opening statement. It was a wasted day. These have become theater, showing up pictures, talking about policy issues like the ACA or any other things. That has nothing to do with Supreme Court. Right. You're not gonna, a judge is, is not going to tell you how they're going to rule on a case they haven't heard the legal arguments for or seen the briefs for. That's the precedent that always has been. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, all the rest did it. But think about this. We talk about the polarization, Sam. Uh, Scalia, 98 votes. Most conservative justice on the Supreme Court got 98 votes Right back in the 80s. Ruth Bader Ginsburg got 96 votes. The, the liberal line of the Supreme Court. So that means a lot of Republicans voted Absolutely. for her. A lot of Democrats voted for Scalia. Now look at the last four or five Supreme Court justices in the 2000s. Only one got over 60 votes. Right. And some are at 50, 54, because now it's almost an up or down partisan vote. This is all theatrics and a sideshow right now. This is getting screen time. This is getting clips for people to go on uh, the news. This is people getting their face time as politicians and elected officials. Every senator already knows how they're going to vote. So we're putting the country through all this theater for what? A vote. But I think there are underlying issues out there that aren't going away, and it doesn't matter who wins this election. It doesn't matter if Donald Trump wins. It doesn't matter if Joe Biden wins. There are issues in this country that are going to have to be dealt with, but we're going to have to agree on a basic set of facts and civics is what I'm saying of how these decisions are made and then have the important political arguments about it. And, you know, I I hate that people are losing friends or not talking to family members over politics because, you know, I go and, and have barbecues and cookouts with Democrat operatives that we worked against each other in campaigns in the 1990s and we're friends and it's not personal. We just see what is the role of government? Should government pay for this, this, or this? What's a track structure supposed to look like? Right. Do you think the government can run health care better than the private industry? Those are the type of things. So I don't look for a pastor for a president because I have one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not looking for a friend because neither one's ever going to call me the white house to hang out on a Friday night. Right. This is about what do I think the purpose of government is. And I think people feel like they have a bilateral choice, this party or this party, Republican or Democrat. Now libertarians are on the ballot in all 50 States, but no one thinks libertarians are going to win. It's going to be one of these other two guys. So you look at it, I look at it and say, okay, who do I agree with most on policy issues, on tax structure, on healthcare, on trade, on national defense? Well, the person I agree with the most is the person I'm going to vote for. Because I'm not married to them, I'm not going to hang out with them, and I'm not looking for spiritual guidance. Right. I'm looking for the policies that are going to affect me and my family and my life. And I think if we all look at it that way, why would you get angry with somebody or mad at somebody or lose a friend over that? This has become so much about cult of personality, and it's on both sides. It's not just one side. Go back. 
I think a lot of the polarization divide really started big with Bill Clinton. Because if you remember, 1984, Ronald Reagan won 49 states. But you had a whole lot of Democrats that won Senate seats. We're not seeing a lot of ticket splitting anymore. Right. But with the impeachment of Bill Clinton, big backlash on Republicans over that, even though American people weren't fond of what happened, they didn't think a president should be removed over it. And I think a lot of the polarization started there, so I'll put some blame on the Republicans with that. But, I mean, if you look at it, since Richard Nixon, Jimmy Carter didn't have a special counsel, but Ronald Reagan did, George W. Bush did, Bill Clinton did, uh, George W. Bush did, Barack Obama is the only president, and Jimmy Carter the only president since Nixon have not had a special counsel. I mean, it's like as soon as you get elected, everybody works for you, better lawyer up. Mm-hmm. Because if the other party gets any control, you're going to get a special counsel. That's not healthy for democracy. We right. shouldn't have every president under investigation within their first year of their first term. And that's coming from both sides is what I'm saying is for that to stop, people have to get back to politics as about policy and the legitimate functions of government and not, well, if you hate that person, you're a racist. If you are, if you, you know, you vote for that person, you're racist. Or if you vote for this person, you know, you're a far extremist. Um, There are extremes on both sides and we know that better than anybody else. I mean, you know, I go back to, if you look at what Timothy McVeigh did in our city and I was down there the next day because I worked for JC Watts at the time. Seeing that up in personal, I, I will never forget the smell in the air and the snitch and my fellow Oklahomans that, that had died and, and the children. It was an overwhelmingly emotional experience. You can tell that was 1995. I still right. tell you feeling about it. But, you know, you go back on it, it goes back to Waco when Bill Clinton was president and Janet Reno's attorney general. No one blamed Bill Clinton for what Timothy McVeigh did. Right. He actually came to Oklahoma, who the state he lost twice, and was with open arms. We were glad the president was here. Right. He gave a great speech, a speech of unity, and it made people feel better. He wasn't blamed for that. And I feel like we're living in a day now, and this has changed, but it doesn't go just from Clinton to Trump. It, it escalated along the way. Now, if anybody that's ever said anything good about Donald Trump does anything, it's Trump's fault. Well, you know, when a Bernie Sanders supporter shot up the congressional baseball game at Republicans and Steve Scalise, who's the majority whip, Almost died. I mean, shot several times in the hospital. No one blamed Bernie Sanders. We have to quit blaming political figures for something that somebody that's just crazy does. I mean, going and just murdering people's crazy. Can we admit that that's not sane? Yeah, no, I I would admit to that for sure. I, I would say that, you know, I mentioned this a few minutes ago. It's the, um, the, the people, the common person that is viewing presidents, Trump's, words as a call to action Uh, those people are insane right but it's not the president is not you know he's not clarifying what he is saying i'm not asking you to form a militia i'm not asking you to take to the streets right and and uh shoot protesters or i'm not asking you to do those things right portland to ask the national guard to come in and squelch it i mean your city's been under siege for i mean Talk about political boneheadedness. I've just got to say this because I think it's so ridiculous. But the mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, and I hope he gets reelected, actually, because his opponent is an Antifa member. So I really hope she doesn't win. Right. So as bad as a job, I think he's done. But, you know, two weeks ago, he put out the social media on Saturday night, lights out Portland. And it's, it calls for everybody to turn their lights out at their homes for climate change. And I'm like, self-awareness, bro. Right. Your city has had arson and fires for over 120 days, and you're worried about porch lights? Right. Get the fires out. And, you know, the federal government only do what they do if they're not called in 
and requested to be there by the states. And, I mean, the government can't fix everything. I mean, it, it just can't, and especially if the federal government. We're way too big of a country, way too diverse. That's why we have states and governments. We're a republic. We're not a straight democracy for right. a reason. Um, but, you know, you have the divide between, I mean, I'll give you an example. I think the COVID virus has become so political and a virus should never be political. But you have blue states that have been locked down forever that I think are going to open up after November 3rd. And you have red states that are fully open. Like, basically, the the, the R, the D behind your name is deciding COVID policy right now because it's come so political that you have one subset of voters that think you have to do this and another set of voters think you have to do that. Depending on where you're the governor, your politics should not enter public health policy, and it has. But you can't run the whole federal system from the presidency. That's just not how it works. That's why we have states. What? Okay, so the question I have is, and we'll end it with this: Where exactly am I supposed to go when I want to hear about actual issues? When I want to know about you know where these guys stand on on. Um, if, if social media needs to be tweaked some way, shape or form because of the algorithm, I would love to have that conversation. Please give me all the fucking information. Like right. I'm annoyed that because I'm black uh, and of a certain age group and maybe the type of shoe that I'm buying or what music I listen to is going to impact the factual quote unquote information that's going to be sent to my phone or to my IP address that bothers me. Right. If that's a conversation we need to have, let's talk about that. I want to talk about infrastructure. I want to talk about education, how American children still end up behind the eight ball. When you consider some of their counterparts in other countries around the world, I want to talk about how we can literally make America great again. Not, not, I want to actually have that conversation as I feel like we are slipping away. China's buying up the whole fucking country. No one wants to have that conversation. Like there's some real effed up shit happening around here. And I'm looking at the news and I'm three weeks away from an election and I can't get either candidate to answer a question in a debate. The vice presidential debate debate was a joke. Also, they're canceling debates. I want to know where I can find where these guys stand. What is their plan in a way that I can digest it and read it? Right. And I I just don't think there's anything like that, especially when you're telling me the Internet is lying to me on purpose. There's no question it is. And the the algorithm question and everything else about social media is much bigger than me. Right. Um, As you know, we're regulated on what we can do on talk radio. TV networks are regulated on their advertising and what they can do. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you have these private companies that are so big, they're they're a point of monopolies that now are deciding what information you get, you don't get. And it should make you angry. It should make everybody angry. And you remember the game SimCity that we used to play where we oh, built yeah. our own city and we, we did that? Yeah. Well, here's what's changed. We're now the characters. We are the people in SimCity. And it is the social media companies, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Google, and the information and the data they're collecting, the time they want you to spend on there. Sam, if you get on, you're a person, you see a thing about infrastructure, you're going to click on it, you're going to read it. Right. But how many people are going to click on and read it? So they're wasting their ad time and all the money that they can make right. off us because people aren't going to get on there and spend time about infrastructure. But if you take a hyperbole from a candidate that you could put out there in a headline and you get clicks and people get on and they stay with it, they're making money on you every second you're on there because right. you're passing another promoted ad, another promoted ad every time time you stay on looking what i do right now trying to get through the noise all all this 
I know anything the Washington Post writes is going to be negative about Trump. Anything New York Times writes, any of the thing about the networks is going to be negative about Trump at right. least ninety six percent of the time. What I try to do is there's uh, Catherine Harris. She's a great reporter from CBS. I follow her on Twitter. She has been following very, very, very calm, good, good stories very, very well. And she's from CBS, Catherine Harris. Um, Cheryl Atkinson, uh, she is someone that I follow. She used to be an anchor at CNN. Um, she was a reporter who's won many, many awards at CBS. And now she, she's on full measure, and she's an independent journalist because she's an investigative journalist. She doesn't take sides. She gives straight information because I know what I'm going to see on MSC and CNN and Fox. I know what I'm going to see on ABC and CBS and NBC. So I try to find the reporters that are out there that are very good, very independent. Byron York's one of them as well um, that I know because I know – what a New York Times reporter is going to say. It's, it's never going to be a good headline. And so you have to be very, very, very discerning. And then what I will do is go to, let's say, MSNBC, CNN, and Fox just on clips that I see, like go to their website, not watch their shows, mm-hmm. pull up stories just to see the different angles that they're taking on things. Right. But knowing I already know that this is pundersy, it's not journalism. And that's where we've crossed the line. And for newspapers, especially nationally, to cross the line is – no matter what they want to say, the editorial boardroom has went into the, the newsroom. The newsroom used to be straight-up journalism, asking questions, getting right. the facts, and reporting, leaving it. it to the readers to decide which side of the argument they agree with. We have leaked into the editorial boardroom, have now leaked into the journalism rooms, and we are getting what the owners and the editors want us to hear. I mean, there's reporters that have quit papers saying, basically, my editors weren't going to let me write any story they didn't want me to write. So we'll, we'll leave you with this. Chad and I both would say you still have to make a decision based off of the information that you're getting. Right. The answer to my own question is seek out information from all the places that you can possibly find it, put it on a table, on a notebook, on your computer, whatever you have to do. It's your duty, in my opinion, as a citizen to find all the information that you can and then make your own opinion. Absolutely. And, and thing, listen and, right, and listen be, left, and be listen discerning. middle, and be, be discerning. discerning. Absolutely. If, a, if you read something, a story that doesn't make sense to you, that it's just too far, right? be discerning. Because if that was actually true, then you know, you'd probably have the FBI rating and 46 people arrested. Right. If that, you know, I'm giving you examples. If it's hyperbole to get you on and you're reading it and like, this, this is pretty big and it's nowhere else then you know it's nothing i mean i'll give you an example in in, in 2016 there there was a blog that had a website that they'd let expire it just didn't work there was a guy that bought it he just made up stories about the presidential race and started putting them out there in an eight-month period he ended up making one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. he was just making up stories he wasn't pro trump he wasn't pro clinton he was just putting stuff out there to get people to watch so he could sell ads and it worked crazy and it, and they weren't even true so you have to be discerning and i also would say is don't get bought into the hyperbole of personality politics look at okay what you know what are they saying on taxes what are they saying on health care what are they saying on immigrate what are they saying on trade whatever side of the issue right. you are and then vote for whoever you want to and i never try to convince somebody to vote how i'm going to vote i want you to vote how you want to vote your vote right. just i have What's one you. you have one Vote however you want, and I'll be friends with you. You right. can vote against the curse, and I'm, because that has nothing to do with it. Because my personal faith, and that's why I say, Sam, I have a, a preacher. I'm not looking for a preacher. I'm looking for a president on, on policy. But my faith says, love thy neighbor. 
And there's no buts about who that is. I mean, it's, it's love thy neighbor. It's treat people well. Treat people with respect. If we all do that, we have a civil society. But if you automatically don't like someone or you're automatically going to be angry at someone based on what candidate they support, then you're not giving them the same freedom that our Constitution is supposed to give them entitlement to, right? Right. You're not respecting their ability to have a civic choice. I, I mean, I believe inherently most people are good. The people that are getting the loudest noise right now are the 2% on both sides that are the squeaky wheels. And most of us are most of us are sick of it. Right. It feels like those people are the ones that are going to that are controlling things is what's unfortunate. Exactly. You know, for a lot of people, they're making money off those clicks. They're making right. money off people. Get, I mean, Rachel Maddow knows she's going to make a lot of money getting everybody that hates Trump to watch her every night, so she can say whatever she wants to about Trump. Hannity knows he's going to make a lot of money every night getting four point one million people to watch him come out and say what he's going to say. Right. They're not journalists. You know they're crazy. opinion people. Bro, that's crazy. Four point one people. That's four point one million people. Watch that's Sean nobody. Hannity. That's no, literally yeah. nobody's watching that 4.1 million people. Yeah. And that's and, the number one rated cable news show. And it's insane to me how those one minute clips from those things now all of a sudden are reaching big numbers when it's social media. No, absolutely. And it's one minute clips like, and I, like, I, I think that both CNN and Fox, they look like fools and I would have a hard time looking myself in the mirror. A lot of the time, if I work for either one of those networks, like you are lying to the American people, you are shaping these conversations to go with one narrative. You are no longer a newsman or a woman. No, You're they're an opinion shows. They it's are an opinion shows. It yeah. is. No, they're opinion shows. They're not journalism. And to think that those people are only speaking to four million people or three million people, whoever that million people might be, but the impact that they're having across the country in little towns in America. Yeah, we'll probably have when, 160 million people vote. Right. And, and those gets people, about 4.1 million. Maddo gets about three. Right. And, the, and they're getting those, and those companies are taking those clips, their shows, because I don't even feel like the individuals at time. I mean, they're, they do a shit job reporting the news. They really do. But it's what happens in editing that makes it even that much worse. Absolutely. Like, if I, was, if I wanted to make myself or you look like a real asshole in the last hour and seven minutes, I can go in there and clip, pull out clips of this. Absolutely. And make that. And that's what's happening. And that's the information that people are you digesting. You can take it and say, Chad Alexander takes Confederate flags and statues belong in museums. Absolutely. <laughs> that's a, but I'm saying that's the only headline, place they belong. Yes, absolutely. Right. And, it's, and it's crazy to me how... You know, it's the little bits of information that people are taking and making it the gospel, and it's unfortunate. Absolutely, and it's going to get worse with artificial intelligence, and, and the people have been warned about this. There'll be more warnings on this, but they're going to be able to have where they're going to have video clips that someone could be can put up that is totally false. They could have a uh, Obama, Rock Obama saying something. Yep. You could see it coming out of his mouth, and it was something he never said. It was totally digitized. It was totally fabricated it was not true it never happened then how do you discern whether or not he actually said it that is right there what you just mentioned probably the biggest threat to our way of life is now taking like our ears lie to us all the time our eyes typically don't lie to us right, right. they've tried in the past and it's been unsuccessful right the ufo this or you you know what i mean like right. you see look but if you can tell me that there's a way for you to manipulate my vision and tell me that what I'm seeing is not true based off, that is a huge problem and one that probably needs to be being discussed in this circle, in the political conversation right now. The Social Dilemma, which is on Netflix, I would re highly recommend it to anybody. Social Dilemma, okay. It will, it, they estimate that the big tech companies and social media can absolutely manipulate 
10 to 20 million votes that they could probably decide an election. If they're all on the same side and they all work together, they could absolutely decide an election. So you're going to let four CEOs be able to pick who wins and who loses. That's not what this republic is about. I think that you're going to see regulations coming down on social media companies in a big way after this election. Chad, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Sam, always a pleasure, my brother. I appreciate it. The Sam Mays Podcast is a production of P-Squared Media.